Do you believe this morning that we serve a great God? Amen. Amen. Wonderful worship this morning in God's house. We had a great time last week as we uh, finished up our VBS, and Pastor Dave did a great job bringing a message there. We are now back into the Gospel of Luke. We have been journeying uh, through this Gospel. We are at the last uh, here part of chapter number 16, a very well-known parable. But to bring us back to where we have been and, what, and the journey we've been taking in Luke chapter 16, we see that Jesus has been teaching a crowd of people. And wherever Jesus goes and whatever Jesus teaches, a crowd shows up. Of course, in the midst of that crowd now, because Jesus is now making his way back up to Jerusalem, making his way to the cross, he's become very famous in the area. Well, the Pharisees have also followed him. And they continue to follow him to see uh, what he is doing. Now, they don't follow to learn. They follow to find problems and to find trouble. And as they uh, came uh, when Jesus was teaching uh, this first parable, teaching about stewardship and, and how we as believers should uh, shrewdly use our resources to uh, invest in and build the kingdom of God, well, he got the Pharisees' attention because the Pharisees were all about money. Um, but they weren't happy with what Jesus had to say. Uh, they loved money, Luke tells us, remember uh, earlier there, and Jesus was talking about using, his using your money for the kingdom, and they got pretty upset, and as was normal for them, they didn't stay quiet and upset, they got loud and upset. You ever been around someone that gets loud and upset, they call you out on it? They ridiculed Jesus, they called him out on what he was teaching, and Jesus dealt with them in the few passages in between, and now we come to this last parable that Jesus is kind of finishing up teaching the crowd, teaching the Pharisees here, and wants to leave them with some very important information, and in this story, in this parable, he gives some very important information that we need to see in regard to heaven and hell. However, heaven and hell are not Jesus' primary purpose for this parable, and we need to see what his primary purpose is as we go through it. So to get our minds thinking about what the primary purpose of what Jesus wants to deal with in this parable here, let me ask you a question. When you observe others, others who you believe to be Christians, what characteristics do you see in them that cause you to believe that they're a true believer? In other words, when you look at people and they claim to be Christian, what things do they do? What things do they, how do they live? What things happen in their life that proves that they're a believer? Is it the words they say? Is it how much scripture they can quote? Is it the type of clothes that they wear or the music they listen to? Is it the money they have or the money they give away or the money they don't have? The list can be endless, can it? What is the criteria that we put on people to know whether or not they're, they're true, genuine followers of Jesus Christ? And they kind of can change based upon what we think are the most important things. Well, in Jesus' day, what Jesus is dealing with here is that they had a common belief of what a genuine follower of Jesus looked like, or a follower of God in that, at that time. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross and died yet. But what was a not a Christian, but what was a God follower in their culture? What did that actually look like? And most of the time, it centered around the fact of a person being, quote-unquote, blessed. Is this person living good? Is this person, I don't know if this phrase is used much more, is it the person living high on the hog? Do you say that? Uh, that may not, high on the cheese, is that the Wisconsin phrase? Is that, I, don't, I don't know um, there, <clears throat> but... Uh, if a person was healthy and wealthy, 
in their belief system, they believed they had favor from God and that they were actually truly a follower of God. And the question I ask you today, as we think about that today, is that actually true? Is that a criteria that we should use? As a matter of fact, we hear today, we hear people all over the place tell us that the healthy you are and the wealthy you are, you're blessed by God, and, and you, that truly means that you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ because as a person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, they need to have these things. Or is there other criteria that others may use? Some use uh, the criteria of the way you dress, the music you listen to, the church you go to, all of these other things that, that you can use to determine whether or not they're a true believer. But Jesus actually wants to take us to the heart of the matter. He wants to take us to the core of this. So let's see what he says. So as we get into this parable here, let's look at what Jesus has for us here. Verse number 19, he starts this story off and says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple and fine linen were high-costing clothes in that day. Purple was very difficult to get a hold of, that, that type of color, so it was really left for royalty or the uber-rich, if you will. All right. So he's dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, as we read this, we, we, it's kind of common for us. We've heard this parable before. We kind of know what's going on. And as we kind of read this, we kind of go, okay, this guy was rich, this guy was poor. But Jesus is really laying it on thick here. We need to understand what he's saying here. He's really making a major contrast for us. This man was so rich that he had the life that everyone desired is his point. He had more food than he could eat, more drink than he could drink. He had the finest clothes, the nicest house, had everything that you would want to have the most perfect wife wonderful life. On top of that, although Jesus doesn't say anything, it was assumed as these people would be listening, they were Jews and the Pharisees were Jews, as they would be listening uh, to this, they would assume a few things, that this man that Jesus is talking about, this rich man, is a Jew, that not only is he a Jew, but he's religious, uh, he follows the law, he obeys the law, and as a result of this, because of his wealth and the things that he had, God had greatly blessed him. So obviously this man and the way that he lived and the things that he had made him definitely a follower of God. Uh, God had blessed him in a mighty way. And I believe, very honestly, the reason why Jesus was amping this up on the rich man is because I think every Pharisee that, sat, that was there listening to Jesus kind of did one of these things. I know they had robes on, they didn't have lapels, but they kind of, yeah. Yeah, that rich guy, that's me. That's who he's, he, God has blessed me. Because remember, they talked about earlier about how rich they were just a little bit ago. And they're like, man, I, that's me. God has favor on me because I do the religious things. As a matter of fact, I'm the most spiritual here. I'm better than anyone else. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee? Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like this poor, wicked man. Remember, that's how they felt. And then Jesus goes, well, let me contrast that with this. I'm going to give you a poor man, Lazarus. Now, some believe that this is more than a parable, that this is really a real event that took place because Jesus uses the uh, proper name here, a person's name, Lazarus. It could have been. Uh, whether it is or not, it's not really important. What's important is the message that Jesus shares here, and I promise you that what Jesus shares in the story is absolutely true, okay? So, this is what he's laying out. Lazarus is poor, so poor, he had absolutely had nothing. The ratty clothes on his body were probably all that he possessed, probably just enough to keep him covered. He had no job, and he had no way of providing for himself because he was sick. 
He laid at the gate of the rich man, probably in front of his property there, and he was laying there, hopefully hoping to get some scraps of food from the rich man. Now, when we read that, we don't fully understand what he's talking about. Does that mean that the rich man is going to come out with a plate of scraps or something and, and, and give it to him? Jesus gives us the picture of the food that fell from the table. In that culture, they would fully understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. What Lazarus was waiting for was the trash. That's what Lazarus was waiting for. He was waiting for the rich man's garbage to come out, if you would. Uh, and really what they would do is, of course, they didn't have hefty trash bags in those days, right? All right. They didn't bring the bag out to the street. They would take the scraps of food and they would just toss them into the street for the animals to consume. But more than that, what he was really looking for was food in that day was eaten by your hands. And the very wealthy, in the very wealthy houses, what they would do is they would clean their hands. Check this out. They would clean their hands by wiping their hands on chunks of bread. All right. They take a half a loaf and they clean their hands with, with the loaf and they toss it on the floor. That's the scraps. Because they don't eat that. And the servant would come and pick up the scraps. And they would, that's what Lazarus wanted to eat. He wanted to eat the food that they cleaned their hands on after putting it in their mouth and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, and so why is Jesus telling us this? He's wanting us to know that in the destitute position this poor man is in. He's really amping this thing up to really, really make a point. Now, he says that he was sick, and just to let you know what Jesus is doing here, giving a word picture, he says that he's so sick that he has sores on his body, I hope you didn't eat much for breakfast, that the wild dogs of the city would come and lick up his sores on his body. Why? Well, it relieved the pain and the itching, and it cleaned out the sores. If you can, I'm not going to go any farther than that, use your own imagination, okay? And what Jesus is saying, this guy was just putrid. He was disgusting. Society looked at him as being horrible. As a matter of fact, it, the sores on his body pretty much meant that he had leprosy. And leprosy in that day and age was the worst sickness you could have. And a person that had leprosy was an outcast in society. They, they were not allowed to come around anybody. So Lazarus, even though he was at his gate, probably hid during the day. The, the stuff was thrown out. He gathered it up. The dogs licked his sores. It was horrible. He was putrid, disgusting. And everybody that was sitting there listening to Jesus give the story, I could hear right that moment going, Oh, Jesus, do you have to go that far? Oh. You see, why was Jesus doing this? In their culture, it was believed that if someone was sick, then God was judging them. It was believed in that culture that either he sinned or one of his family members sinned so greatly uh, to be in this present condition. It means the, the fact that, that God wasn't happy with him. God didn't like him. He has this because God is judging him. And so Jesus gives us these two extremes. This man is so rich and so wonderful that God's obviously got to be blessing him. This one is so sick and so poor that God obviously must be judging them so one thing was certain in the mind of everyone that was sitting there this rich man's going to heaven and Lazarus is going to hell that's what they believed with all of their heart as they go oh we I can, I can see some of them right there writing Jesus up going oh, I know where this is going I know where this is going and just as Jesus always did with his parables and with this story now that he's got them hooked in to what's going on he twists the plot Exactly what Jesus always does, because as was common, they're thinking 
was off. <laughs> it was wrong. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus makes an amazing statement here. And I'm telling you, I, I know we don't get this because we're not there. I wish I could just take you back to that first century and sit in that crowd because Jesus said these words, and the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side in verse 22. And right there, I think someone fell over. I think you heard in the crowd going, <gasps> what? There's no way. I, Jesus, you can't even say that. That's not, that's not right. There's no, and, and when they heard Abraham's side, they knew exactly what he was talking about. We'll clarify that in a minute. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, why in Hades? This guy's crazy. What's he talking about? The, the, the crowd was amazed and the Pharisees were ticked. I'm telling you. They were angry. All right. He says, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. The only thing these two men had in common was this. They had the death in common. And even that wasn't equal. You know, we, we miss it because we don't understand this, but it's interesting. Did you notice that the rich man, when he died, he was what? He was buried, wasn't he? Okay? So you know what happened to Lazarus? He wasn't buried. The rich man was buried, we had a beautiful funeral, a beautiful pro uh, procession, was laid in a tomb, all this Jewish stuff that they normally did. The, the poor man, Lazarus, when he died, he went to the common grave, which was in the city dump. And they just took his body and they threw him out like the trash he ate. He just threw him in this common grave, you see. But the one thing we can take from this and one thing we need to remember and what you need to remember today for you is guess what? In the, even in the 21st century, the death, the death ratio is still one to one. If the Lord tarries, every one of us will have our own funeral. We will pass away. And everybody is surprised that Jesus says that Lazarus goes to Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side was where every Jew wanted to be. It was, it was the place of great comfort, of great peace. And Hades was a place that everyone wanted to avoid. It was a place of wicked, uh, evil, and eternal torment there. And so Jesus uses a picture of the afterlife that we're not really that familiar with, a little bit, but they were very familiar with. You see, the Old Testament didn't clarify heaven and hell as much as what the New Testament does. So the first century Jew believed in their mind that when a person died, everybody that died went to the same place. In the Hebrew, this is called Sheol. And I've made a little uh, sketch here for you uh, to explain what Sheol is. So Sheol was the, pl was the place known as the place of the dead. It contained two compartments. The one side was Abraham's side. Jesus called it paradise when he was on the cross. Uh, we would call it heaven for us to understand. And on the other side of the other compartment, the Jews knew it as Hades, the place of, uh, of the, the dead or the damned, if you will. Jesus called it Gehenna, which was hell, and we would call it hell today. Abraham's side was a place of blessing and, and prosperity there and, and all of that. And then uh, uh, Hades was the place of torment. And so we see that Lazarus goes to this place called Abraham's side and that uh, the rich man goes to this place called Hades. Uh, and so we see what's happening here. And in between there's something called the abyss, this chasm, this gulf that's in between there. The abyss we find in Revelation is the imprisonment of those who are the most vilest of demons and Satan himself is placed there during the millennial reign of Christ. And so Jesus explains this. So I want you to see this image here because Jesus is going to explain this in detail now as we read verses 24 through 26. He says, And he called out, that's the rich man, calling out from Hades, 
said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, replying to the rich man, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So Lazarus is in heaven. The rich man is in hell. Lazarus is enjoying uh, perfect peace. He is healthy, healthy, healthier than he's ever been in his life. Feels no more pain. All of his needs are met. He's alive more than he ever has been. He was in heaven. And that's the picture of heaven for us as well. But the rich man, the rich man was in torment. Fire is usually what is commonly given for the torment of hell uh, there. And uh, Burning is usually what's given for that, that torment. I don't know if the, the, the fire is literal. I believe it is. Uh, there he says that he's in such anguish that he asks, listen, he asks for Lazarus just to put a drop of water, a drop of water on his tongue, which means that he wanted just reprieve from hell because it's so torturous for just a millisecond. Just give me that millisecond of relief, please. This is so horrible. The torment is so great. He was tormented physically by the heat that he felt, by the torments of hell. He was tormented mentally as he remembered his life. He remembered who Lazarus was. He remembered how he lived his life and how he lost everything. He was tormented emotionally as he desired to be where Lazarus was, knowing that he could never, ever reach there. You see, one thing that we see that is absolutely true about heaven and hell, when you get there, that is where you stay. If you're in heaven, you're in heaven for all of eternity. If you're in hell, you're in hell from all of eternity. Religion and man have tried to make it so that maybe some way you can work your way out of hell, go to another uh, middle place there maybe and make your way to heaven or somehow you're going to work your way out. No, Jesus is the one telling this parable. And Jesus is telling you that when you die and leave this earth, if you know Jesus, you're in heaven with God. If you don't know Jesus, you are in hell. And wherever you are, you're there for eternity. That's why this is so important. That's why this isn't a game. That's why Christianity is not a game. That's why we're not playing church here. This is so very important. The stakes are very high. And what Jesus' point is making here, what he's wanting everyone to understand, is that these places are real. Jesus never talked of a mythical place, a place of, of just consciousness. He talked of a place where we will physically live for all of eternity. Listen to me very carefully. No matter who you are, no matter who you put your faith and trust in, you have a life that will live forever. We may die physically here on the earth, but we will live eternally in one of two places. It will either be with God in heaven or it will be in hell separated for all eternity you have an eternal life and the rich man answers abraham as he hears what what abraham says and he says to him he says then i beg you father knowing his plight knowing where he was knowing that things cannot and will not change you notice here that the rich man never says get me out of here he never says make a way for me to come where lazarus is no he knows he's fixed he knows where he is is where he will stay. 
He knows he will never leave that place. So he says, I beg you, Father, send him, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. He's begging Abraham, please send Lazarus, please send him to my brothers. You know what's interesting here, though, is we see the true heart. We see the true heart of the rich man, don't we? He did absolutely nothing in his life to help Lazarus, but when the chips are down, when things are reverse, he cries out for mercy. He cries out for Lazarus to serve him. But he does, he does and he can't. I don't know whether Lazarus wanted to or not, but Abraham says, listen, there's nothing we can do. What's the point? When you pass from this life into eternity, that's it. The only opportunity, the only chance you have to receive Jesus Christ is now. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed, listen, you're not guaranteed to walk to your car today. You're not guaranteed to make it home today. You're, you know, the routine of our life, remember the routine of our life, oh, this happens all the time, I just go home, I'll go have my lunch, this is normal, 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 you know, and, and some posts have been coming up on Facebook stuff, maybe I'll, re I'll remind you that, remember on 9-11, everybody went to work in the Twin Towers thinking it was a normal day, didn't they? Just like that, you can be in eternity. You're not guaranteed your next breath. The rich man knew he was there. Lazarus knew he was there, and there was nothing that they could do. He says, send Lazarus, please. There's abyss that he says. Lazarus can't go take you water. Lazarus can't leave here to go tell your family. Look at verse 29. He says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. The term Moses and the prophets is just simply another way of saying they have the Old Testament scriptures. They have the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament wasn't written yet. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He says the scriptures are enough. The word of God is what you need. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you will not accept what the Bible says, you will not accept if one rise from the dead. And you know what the truth of the matter is? I believe Jesus was talking about his resurrection. How many of you know one did rise from the dead? And how many of you know most people don't believe? Most people don't believe. You see, miracles aren't going to make a person believe. It's putting your faith and trust in the truth of the Word of God. You must hear the word of God. And as you're hearing it today, you must hear, you must believe in this. Well, why? Why was Lazarus sent to heaven? And why was the rich man sent to hell? That's the question that's on everybody's mind. As a matter of fact, I love this. Jesus comes to the end of his story here and he just drops it. Jesus was always famous in doing this. He's like, I get you to this point, and then, okay, you've got to make the decision. All right? They're not going to believe, done, end of story. And I love how Jesus leaves the tension there because every single person in the crowd, have you ever said something and, you, and a person looked at you and went, more? 
I think the whole crowd was doing that. I think they were like going, um, <laughs> we're not waiting until next season for the cliffhanger, Lord. Come on, right? No to be continued here. What, and what were they thinking? Why? This totally upset their belief system. This totally turned their belief system on its head. They believed beyond a shadow of a doubt this rich man should have been in heaven and Lazarus should have been in hell and now Jesus twisted it. And, and, and how? Why? What, what makes the difference? If it's not that God is blessing this person with all this wealth and these riches and, and he's not cursing Lazarus because of his sickness and stuff, what makes the difference? Why in the world did this happen? Everyone believed with all their heart Lazarus should have been in hell, and the rich man should have been in heaven. And Jesus alludes to this in the conversation that he gives between Abraham and the rich man. Just listen very carefully. He says this, but Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, remember in your lifetime that you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I say, Pastor Mike, what are you saying? Are you saying that Jesus is saying that Lazarus went to heaven because he was poor and, and had life really tough and the rich man went to hell because he was rich? No. Jesus' point is none of that matters. Listen to me very carefully. Your social standing has no bearing on where you will spend eternity. There's nothing in this earth that helps you with your standing and where you will be in all of eternity. What Jesus was talking about what Jesus was getting to, as I said earlier, Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. You see, the rich man, although religious and blessed, was hard-hearted. He had no change in his life. He did all the religious duties. He did all the religious things. He read all the right things. He, he, he did all that he was supposed to do. Gave his sacrifices when he was supposed to do it. He followed the religious rules. He followed them. And, as, and Jesus is using the Pharisees as an example for this rich man. So in their mind, he followed them perfectly. He did them perfectly. He was the one to show when someone didn't follow the law what the right thing to do was. He was the one who knew the scriptures forward and backwards. He was the one who read from the scroll. He was the one, he was the one who did all of the religious works. But there was no change in his heart. He was hard-hearted. He showed Lazarus no compassion. He knew Lazarus. Uh, listen, he knew Lazarus. The only way into his house was through his front gate. He saw that. They met, by the way. That's the point. He knew. He knew who this man was. He knew. And, and every time he saw him, I can imagine him saying to his servant, move him away. Get him. I got people coming over. I can even imagine him saying to his uh, servants there, and I'm just kind of embellishing a little bit, but his heart was hard. I can say to his servant going, throw that out on the other side of the property so that Lazarus can't get to that food. I want him gone. I hate that he's here. He just makes my life miserable. The rich man never offered Lazarus any help. Lazarus had to get it from the trash. The rich man had absolutely, listen now, the rich man had absolutely no Christ-like characteristics. He knew how to dress. He knew how to speak. He knew how to play the game. He could come into the church and you would think he was the holiest person there. He knew how to, how to do all the religious things that needed to be done. And he had no change in his heart. He had no love in his life. He had no compassion for others. He absolutely had no Christ-like characteristics. 
He didn't trust God. He trusted himself. He didn't trust God. He trusted his wealth. He didn't trust God. He trusted in, in how he could earn and what he could do. He didn't trust God. He trusted in the way that he looked and how other people saw him and how other people lifted him up. He looked like the absolute perfect candidate for Christianity. And can I put that in a picture uh, like today? It may not be riches, it may not be wealth, but you know what? We all know. We all know how to act and how to be Christians and how to play the game in front of everybody else. We know how to look good. We know how to put on the mask. We know how to put on the facade. We know that when there's a question in church that the answer is either Jesus or the Bible. Right? We get it right every time. Right? We know. We know what to say. We know not what to say. We know that when we see someone in the store, I'm going to straighten myself up, make sure I look okay. I'm not going to do that. We know. We know that when we come to church, we've got to stop fighting with our spouse. <laughs> Let them know that God is good and everything's good. And then we get back in the car on the way home. Ah! Right? I didn't want to use any words there. I would have gotten in trouble. We know how to play the game. On the other hand, Lazarus, well, Lazarus couldn't play any games. Lazarus, the only thing that he had to hold on to was God. And that's Jesus' point. All Lazarus had was to hold on to God. As a matter of fact, what's so very interesting is that the name Lazarus literally means God is my help. I wonder if that's not why Jesus used that name in this story. His point being is that you can't get to heaven. You can't make it to heaven unless you trust in God. Unless you recognize that God is the only way. And what did God do to make that the only way? He enrobed himself in human flesh. The second member of the Trinity came to this earth, lived on this earth perfectly for us. Went to a sinner's cross that he did not deserve. Broke his body and shed his blood and bore our sins on his body. Died and rose again. Why? Because he loves you. I'm not saying you collectively, I'm saying you personally. The old song says that when Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. God knows you. God knows you intimately. God knows everything about you. God knows the good, God knows the bad, and he came anyways. Why? For you. It's so cliche, you think it's cliche, but it is so true. If you were the only person on the earth, Jesus would have still come for you. That's what he says. That's Jesus' point in this story. All the stuff that we think religion gives us, all the stuff that we think is so important, all the stuff that we think we must do or have to do or have to look or whatever, and none of that gets us to heaven. Only by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the only way that you can have heaven as your home. What was the difference? The rich man looked good on the outside, but had nothing. Lazarus looked horrible on the outside, but he had God, and that's all you need. And that's what you need. It's exactly what you need.
So what was the difference? How do you know today that you're saved? How do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I did the religious things. I said a prayer. I did this. I did that. That's how I know. No. How do you know you have the heart of Christ? I have a love for people that I can't explain. I have a passion for people to know the gospel that I can't explain. I don't mind sharing Jesus with someone. I have God's grace in my life that, that flows out of me. Everywhere I go, everyone I see, I want God's grace to pour out. We have a term for that here. We call that a grace point. When God's grace pours out, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit in salvation, when you are saved with the Holy Spirit, that the love and the grace of God pours out of you. Is God's grace and love pouring out of you? Does your heart break for the lost? Do you care how you live your life? Do you care whether Jesus is represented in your business dealings? Do you care whether or not Jesus is represented in the way that you live, the, the fun you do and the games that you have? God wants you to enjoy life, but he wants his grace to pour out. Listen very carefully. Only a person whose heart has been changed by Christ to look and act like Christ's heart, where genuine grace flows out from them, is a person who is destined for heaven. And that only comes by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That change only comes when you accept Jesus and He comes into your life. We can do everything on the surface to look and play the game. But churches, I've been telling you now for the past four years, the game is over. Jesus is coming your loved ones are dying. They need Jesus. And if you don't have a care about that, then you need Jesus. So how do we know? How do we know that we are His? Well, the heart of salvation is a Christ-like heart. The heart of salvation is a Christ-like heart. Are you living like Christ? Are you moved the way Christ was? Is God's grace flowing from you? If not, you have to take inventory. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word today. Lord, if there's someone here today Maybe they've been in church all their life. Maybe they've, they've done all the religious things. But Lord, they've never truly asked you to forgive them of their sin, put their complete trust in your death, burial, and resurrection, and by faith ask you to save them. God, I pray today will be the day. I pray, Lord, they'll speak to one of our elders or one of our uh, folks here today, Lord, that know you. They'll not leave here without making sure because God, eternity is long and hell is hot. And you desire that none go there. Oh, Father, make us followers of you that are concerned about reaching this community, I pray. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.